Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf Harte. Herzlang gekommen und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujabalata. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast, the only English-speaking podcast relating to the weird and wonderful world of the Spider Bundesliga. Match day five is in the books, and at the moment, it would seem that there is one team that is making the significant strides that they hadn't done in the previous seasons in this league uh, to ensure that they are going back to the Bundesliga uh, the picture towards the bottom, still a bit unclear, but it is uh, for one expected promotion candidate, it is becoming a little bit uneasy, and there is so much to cover. From the weekend's action, my co-host, as always, Eva Lotte-Bohler, joins once again. Eva, it's good to have you. How was your weekend? Um, Football-wise, not that well. I'm really wishing <laughs> I could go back to Zweite Bundesliga winning days uh, because, well, it has been a while. But yeah, um, otherwise, I'm I'm very well. Um, how are you? I am not too bad. Um, if it's any consolation, I am seeking to see only my second um, Bundesliga win for 2020. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get there eventually. <laughs> um, the team being Schalke, but um, we're not here to talk about... Schalke, as that's for another podcast, unless they do come down this season, which hopefully they don't. Um, and let's get on to the action. And we're going to start with a team that has a perfect 5 for 5 record, 15 points. That is Hamburg. Uh, they beat Auer in midweek, and on Saturday, uh, they had to come from behind to beat Würzburger Kickers three goals to one. They were down at half time after a set piece goal from Lars Dietz, and then. It really seemed inevitable that Hamburg were going to come back. Toronto scored a brace. He's got six goals this season. And then Tim Leibold, in stoppage time after Fabian Giefer, uh, went up for the preceding corner, uh, giving Daniel Tuneside the perfect record after five match days. And uh, either it's fair to say that uh, the Tune era so far has gone has been really good short-term um, but I guess the thing that we can really we can really think of, and, and it does seem a little bit different in Hamburg this season, uh, these are the kinds of games that we've seen where they've trailed at home against a team that they should roll. And this time they were very resilient and they were able to find a way back into the game and not only get level, but then go on and win. Yeah, I would fully agree with you here. Um, I thought when I, I didn't watch the game live, but when I saw um, parts of the game um, and the highlights later, I was a bit worried first because uh, the 1-0 and the, yeah, the it's kind of a defensive error because uh, after his headpiece, they all look, look a bit yeah stumbled and don't really know what to do. Um, but it was, that was kind of the only chance Wittsburg really had and the only one that... Well, in sometimes when past uh, 
Sven Ulreich, who only had to deal with um, one shot directed at him, and that that was kind of the goal. So um, he has a 0.0 saving rate, which is understandable when when there's only one um, <laughs> shot coming directed at you. But um, yeah. I, I thought a brilliant performance by Hamburg, especially uh, defensively. I uh, really liked um, Tim Leibold and Sonny Kittel. And, um, well, Sonny Kittel had 11 crosses, Tim Leibold 8. Uh, so they had uh, 20 shots on goal, 5 on target. So they um, yeah, had 25% of their shots were on target. And I, I did really like what they do. And um, I think it was a very deserved win. And I said it uh, on Twitter already. Um, I'm I'm still going with my Hamburg second place. <laughs> I know Düsseldorf is my first. Don't, don't, let's not talk about that now. But their whole, yeah, the whole way they play, how they're behaving on the pitch, um, it's much more grown up than the past couple of seasons and um, the way Daniel Tune manages to get through the team is um, very very good yeah yeah I would agree um, there is definitely a bit of change this was the game I did watch live in, in Australia um, before well, it was kind of just just before or sorry just during the uh, the Spider Buddhas League Starting, um, we had the Australian Football League Grand Final, which wasn't particularly great. So, relieving with the Spider Bundesliga was fantastic. And um, I think if you spin it to what to what Würzburg were doing, it just became, after they took the one-goal lead, it, they were in trouble. You could see defensively that they were constantly under pressure. And then you look at the two Toronto goals, and practically they were at the edge of the six-yard box. Can't win games. You really can't win games when you defend so deep. And then the two shots that Toronto, you know, who'd been okay until then, um, he took his two chances, and then once they trailed, they were gone. They no, never looked like they were going to get back into it. They did have that set piece, and then from that set piece and the, the dying stages, they conceded. So, yeah, we knew it was going to be difficult for Würzburg um, this season in the Spider Bundesliga, and uh, it seems that that's very the status quo is very much as it is right now. Let's go to a game that saw equal number of goals, but the points shared. It was in Darmstadt. Uh, they hosted St. Pauli. Now, Darmstadt had a two-goal advantage in this game. Goals from Sir who scored three goals in his last two games. Yeah, he's, as we know, will be a very pivotal point uh, for Marcus Anfang's side. But uh, one thing that is probably noticeable about the St. Pauli side, Eva, is this This team has showed a lot of resilience. Uh, again, they scored twice in the final 10 minutes or so, Rico Benatelli, and then a interesting penalty call. Uh, you can see what the defender's trying to do. Uh, Stanlevitz, uh, he catches Dashina, penalty, Rodrigo Zalazar for the second week in a row, scoring from the spot, giving St. Pauli a share of the spoil. But going back to my previous point, Eva, resilience is the way to, to, to say with St. Pauli. Similar to Hamburg, when when they trailed, especially under previous management, you never felt confident that they that their style of football, their brand, could get them out of trouble. But St. Pauli under Timo Schultz, 
it's working. They play very nice football, and against a good Darmstadt side, that's a very good point away from home. Yeah, would partly agree with you here because, okay. of course, it's quite good that this is the second time um, they've come back from a 2-0 lead for the opponents. We remember the uh, Bochum game. But for me, um, that's at the same time a huge critique point because we, it's going to be a very, very long season. And if you always have to run behind, if you always need to put some so much more effort into the game you need always like a wake wake up call to score because i think this is basically how this season is for zang pauli more or less not for all games but especially the ones where it, it ends like 2-2 um that the opponents always score first and uh, zang pauli always have to run behind um and this is for me, I think it, it costs a lot of energy and um, seeing that we will have a lot of what we call English weeks uh, in the next couple of months, we don't even know whether this league is going to be ended um, in in May or June um, because, of course, in Germany, um, uh, COVID-19 is very much back. Uh, it was never gone, of course, but just... Um, if you if you look at the numbers and I, I can imagine that it's going to be a bit tough, especially because they will miss um, Guido Burgstaller, who had to undergo surgery last week due to, if I'm uh, rightly informed, a vascular lesion in the stomach. Um, so that it's going to be a bit tough. Of course, it's very good that they fight back and we saw it in, in the early weeks as well. Something we wouldn't expect from a Joslu Kaisang Pauli. But um, they're playing Hamburg. They're playing the Stadt Derby on Friday, and if as is, as we talked uh, about it before, Hamburg isn't really the side they were last season, and so it's much more harder for St. Pauli to come back against the HSV that is that strong and that confident as they are right now. Of course, that doesn't mean a derby always put some different character into the game, but I'm not quite sure that we will have uh, spectators on, on the weekend. Um, and so I'm at the same time, heads up for Tuzang Pauli, not very, very good by Darmstadt uh, defending wise, because just normally you have the two new lead and you just play cool. Um, you spoke about the penalty. I thought it was a bit stupid by Stanislavich um, because you know everything that happens in the um, yeah in the R box uh, in the box is being under huge supervision you could say and just it looks very unlucky and I on the one hand can understand the people that say that is a penalty for me but on the other hand I would I would suggest that um, you should know better in this situation but. Um, yeah, sorry for the monologue, but that's my take on this situation. I mean, you can clearly see he's trying to clear the ball. I think that's the that's the thing. He he's making an attempt to clear the ball, and Dashner very cleverly just gets his foot in front, so that it makes it look like he's had a massive wind up uh, and hacked 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 the St. Pauli player in Dashner. So. A bit stiff. It is actually St. Pauli's third two-all draw this season, and all three of those games have had to come from behind. That is one for the bookies. For Darmstadt, yeah, 
they were the better team for a long period of time in this game. Um, you could see that at the end, Marcus Anfang was visibly frustrated, and rightfully so. They they dropped two crucial points in the game that they, you know, should have won, but they didn't. Let's move on uh, to a team that had been, you know, is flying high still. They sit second in the table. That's Holstein Kiel. Uh, they hosted Greuther Fürth, and you know they've been pretty good prior to match day five. But Kiel, unfortunately, very very ordinary, and Greuther Fürth took full advantage. Three one winners. Uh, Paul Seguin, Branimir Hugurta getting their second goals of the season, and Harvard Nielsen made it three, uh, and then Kiel were reduced to ten men after Fabian Rees's high boot, uh, connecting with Bergen Mavrai, Mooling. Alexander Muling made it 3-1, getting Kiel on the scoreboard. But it was an important game for Furt heading into the match day. They were in the bottom three. Uh, they'd been a bit average, I guess. That's probably the fairest way to describe. But against Kiel on Saturday, they were very, very good. Yeah, I was really surprised by Kiel's performance. I thought they were very, very poor Um Lee wasn't in on the pitch at all for me. I didn't like. I didn't see him in any situation. And then, of course, um, the red card in the end by Fabian Ries uh, just uh, yeah put the cherry on top, as we say, uh, in in a negative way for for Kiel in that game. Um, I was very impressed by Stefan Leitl's side, although he was uh, standing um, on the pitch at the side, and he was more the coach that looked like his team is going to lose. I think it's very, for me, it's very difficult to, uh, yeah, to read him in that way. Um, but of course, that's not my job either. But yeah, um, who I thought was, um, we didn't really talk about that was uh, Maya Hofer. I think he's a right wing player mm-hmm. mainly, but um, he was very unlucky not, not to get um, a goal himself. But I thought he was, one of the key players for that game, although he didn't get his name on the score sheet, but uh, really, really liked how he played. And, um, well, I thought that, that um, yeah, you, you could see it on, in the statistics as well, although um, Kiel has a higher passing accuracy and more possession, but only like by a couple of, uh, yeah, percent. Um uh, Fjord had uh, shot 21 shots on goal, eight shots on target. They had more corners. Um, Sasha Burchard saved 70% of all the shots coming his way, which were four, you could say. Um, so that's quite good. Um, so four and one, are, of course, went in. So very good performance by him as well. When he was needed, he was there. So, um, yeah, hats up to Fjord. Very good game. Yeah, I would agree. They were very, very good. Um, but yeah, kill just just didn't happen for them. They they were very flat for a significant period of time. And you look at the goals they conceded. Um, you know, Seguin and her Goethe's goals were virtually tap-ins. Um, you know, able to exploit the, the the fullbacks, especially Vandenberg was caught out a number of times. If you look at one of the goals, uh, you could see that even Lee was was kind of pitching in defensively and. You know, when you have a, a creative attacking player in a defensive position, you can tell uh, that they're, they're going to be the first player that you exploit. For it, to their credit, were able to exploit a lot of the weaknesses that uh, Kiel had 
and uh, and were very worthy of the three points and a much needed three points for them. Doesn't hurt kill too much. They are second. However, there are a bunch of teams nipping at their heels and the gap to Hamburg is five points. So, again, we probably didn't expect them to be where they are. However, they'll be very wary of the teams, some very good teams, uh, very much uh, looking to displace them in that final automatic promotion spot. We'll take a quick break, and on the other side, we will head to our Group 2 games, where we start at the Ruhrstadion with Borkum and Erzgebirge Auer. Two teams looking to get back to winning ways in match day five were Borkum and Erzgebirge Auer. And it would be fair to say that this game almost was predetermined uh, when uh, Rizzuto, Calogero Rizzuto, was sent off for a... Uh, well, it was a pretty stupid thing. It was... How do we describe it? Very, very poor. He initially made the a pretty fair cha- challenge on, on the striker, Novotny, and then decided to kick him again. And the referee was very generous by giving him a straight red um, because it was quite a silly thing to do. Uh, Borkham pretty much dominated for the remainder of the game, but it did take until the final 20 minutes for them to break through. A pretty resilient hour defence, and it was their two substitutes, Robert Jules and Silvery Gamvula, who got the goals to give Borkham all three points. Um, and either an important win for Borkham, but for our, I guess, two consecutive defeats, they've really struggled going forward. Uh, they didn't manage a shot on target against uh, Hamburg. I think they only had two shots in total for that game, only six to- shots in total. Uh, I know that Borkham and Hamburg are two good sides. A lot of us in our predictions had them, you know, in that top six. Uh, but a, yeah, a, a tough day for our, but for Borkham fans, an important win for them. Yeah, of course. Um, it's just if you look at the statistics, um, it's understandable that some Borkham fans are a bit... I don't want to say sad, but sassy that it wasn't a higher win because, for example, 12 to nil corners. And then what's quite unbelievable for me, it's 32 to six crosses. And 12 out of these crosses for Bochum came from Thomas Eisfeld. So he alone had double the amount of crosses that the whole our team had. Um Once again, who was quite good was Marty Menel. He st- still saved a 71 71- Point four percent of the shots coming his way. Um, yeah, Bochum had seven shots on target, uh, nineteen shots in total. Um, and yeah, of course that red card, um, very unlucky. I do want to say I don't really think uh, he does it on purpose, because if you look at the highlights a bit, like a bit closer, you can see that um, Risuto's um, shoelaces are torn apart of his foot, and then. Um, he, the the Bochum player keeps hanging in the shoes shoelaces. He wants to run away, away, and then Rizuto wants to pull back because his foot is like his shoelaces are, are torn in 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 the shoe of the Bochum player. Uh, that's a bit unlucky. So of Novotny and um, bit unlucky for for our as well. It it doesn't look like um like foul play for me in in this situation i have to say but yeah um 
good for Bochum to have a clean sheet, three points, um, but could have been uh, just a bit more possible. Um, but And also heads up to Toto Lucia, who has a running distance of uh, 58.7 kilometers in just five games. That's quite good. Yeah, and he's 34. I mean, he's has been the leader of that team for quite some time. And, you know, it, there's, a, there's a good reason why Borkham fans love him. Uh, he's, you know, workmanlike approach, extremely high work rates, and just a leader. Very, very good leader uh, on the pitch. Well, I think we have a little bit of a disagreement in terms of the red card. I think even even if that is the case, the, where the shoelaces and stuff like that, the action's probably not required. Just don't do anything. Don't like don't don't give the referee something he can you know or don't give the referee um, some sort of action that they have to take out. And that's what happened. And it was well, there was no ball involved, <laughs> and and he's taken out the player's legs, Even, intentional or not. It it becomes very clumsy, and then it's naive to think that he's not going to get sent off. So, yeah, uh, that's just the unfortunate part of it. Uh, I guess I do agree that it, it took Borkham, you know, a significant time. It was like forty four minutes that hour had been down to 10 men before they were able to break through and it was eventually a bit of a walk-in goal to give them the lead they've only scored six goals this season Borkham but they are sitting in fifth place and they are very much in the mix to make a run if they want to another team that is probably more expected to make a run at promotion is Hanover Uh, they hosted a team that a few people expected to win the league um, I won't name name names. They can, you know, they know who they are. Um, <laughs> they met off in a massive game um, at the HDI Arena in front of nine thousand fans, and it was the hosts that took a three nil victory. It all really kicked off in the second half. Uh, Matthias Zimmerman, who was a second half substitute for Florian Hartertz, he took, you know, only took part for about seven minutes before he received two. Two yellow cards, and then it was all Hanover. Uh, Koshevin International, Florian Mujila, then Marvin Dux from the spot, and then, well, a calamitous own goal by goalkeeper Florian Karstenmeyer. Admittedly, he was sold down the River Nile by a very poor pass by um, Brandon Barillo, but even still, you know, at this level, goalkeeper has to be a little bit better. Um, and yeah. It was it, it's showcasing to be a very tricky season for Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf, we'll try Dusseldorf instead. Um, Either and yeah, I almost wouldn't. I know it's only five games in, but this this has an eerie Nuremberg from last season kind of vibe. What do you think? Yeah, definitely, and. Um... Okay, Fortuna fans, please don't listen now because the statistics are very, very not in your favor. Um, okay, this is still okay. Corners five to one, but then we have sixteen to one tackles. That's already quite unbelievable. But because if you don't manage, that's a third thing I'm going to mention here. If you don't manage to create any any kind of chances. I looked through two statistic pages and they both said there is no shot on goal, not even a shot on goal 
in total for Dusseldorf. Mm. If you don't manage to do that, at least try to win the game in tackles, in, in midfield, kind of, that you at least... But they did do that. Um, well, of course, if you're one man down, it's always a bit bit difficult, but I, they're, they're a relegated side from the Bundesliga. And they play like they're promoted side from, from the Dritte Liga. I'm very sorry I have to say it that harsh, but it's it was a horrible performance. I don't really understand why Klaus Allos, of course, um, new manager for uh, Hatman, like um, director kind of stuff for Düsseldorf, says there's no discussion about Uwe Rösler. Mm. It's not really understandable for me because he didn't really manage to bring the team together in the Bundesliga. Of course, it's not the worst idea to say, okay, we're going to build a whole new team within in the Zweite Bundesliga, but it doesn't work. It clearly it doesn't work. For me, he still doesn't have a clear idea what he's doing with the team. Um they had Dusseldorf had a lot of problems getting um Genki Haraguchi out of the way of doing his things, both Haraguchi and Duksh. So two um extra junior players were were quite after active through the game and of course uh, Florent Musilia um, got his first goal um, just one last note on Florian Kastenmeier I think it was very unlucky for him doesn't really represent his uh, his role in the mm. in the Düsseldorf team because I think he was a he's a very important player for them he saved he still saved 60% of the shots um, that, that came his way and he but, I mean Fortuna has a expected goals of 0.0 of course if you have no um no shots on target that's understandable but nova is only 1.69 um and uh, those statistics come from i don't know fbref you could say um and they they have quite good statistics they're the only one who said if you watched the bundesliga game last night um and drb takes a shot on goal when the goal is completely empty. And um, like the Bundesliga statistics said, this is a um, expected goal statistic of like 0.39 or something like that. So 39%, which is kind of ridiculous. And that's, and FBREST said it's 80%. So very, very good uh, side for um, Zweite Bundesliga fixtures as, um, as well, if you want to look it up. And um, yeah. For Fortuna, I don't really see how they're coming out of this. Uh, the games are not getting easier. Um, I think, well, I think they won against Würzburg, but still that game wasn't really a perfect uh, day for them. Um, and yeah, one last note. I don't really understand uh, why there were 9,000 people in the stadium on Saturday because um, well we have that rule in Germany where you have until like a seven day incidence um, to 35 people per 100,000 um, you already have more restrictions like they're only allowed to uh, 300 people in in public yeah sport events or events in general and then 50 is the um, where you re- have restriction like um Closing hours at uh, 11 p.m. No alcohol and stuff. Um, just just quick note: Bielefeld has a seven-day incidence of like 109. Yay! Um, and and Hannover had at that point already an incidence of, um, 
I think 45 or something like that. So we're just definitely above the 35, still below the 50. But I don't really know why we're saying that. But while we have a concept that works, that's fine. If that's really a clever idea to do. I'm not the only one who says that. There are a couple of Hanover fans who agree with me there. Um, And yeah, for me, it was... um, you could see which kind of people were drawn to the stadium when there was a La Ola during the game. It was like, for Christ's sake, why? Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess wrapping it up with Dusseldorf, you know, they've they've um, taken only four points from their opening five games. The win against Würzburg, they easily could have drawn or, or lost. Um, they weren't particularly good in that game, and yeah, I didn't. <laughs> uh, it's it's fascinating that they didn't. They were unable to have a single shot, not have a single shot on goal. I mean, fair income. Give my give a uh, Mikhail Esser a picnic table, um, whatever's Hanover's finest beer is, and and just let him relax because seriously, he might as well have not even bothered turning up. That's how easy it was for him. Um, yeah, Dusseldorf have problems, and and the fact that Alofs is not really, he's almost willing to give him more time, seems va- rather rather questionable because uh, they can't get the ball down there, and the defense is um, not great. It's you know still a work in progress, and that leaves Kastemeyer, who was who was one of Dusseldorf's best players last season. He's basically drowning in goal. He needs help. Um, but it doesn't look like it's going to come anytime soon. They are a need to improve, and it needs to happen very quickly. Otherwise, you know, teams like Braunschweig and Würzburg, who are the only two teams below them, will usurp them in 16th place. Uh, let's go to our final Group 2 game, which was in Regensburg. Jan Regensburg hosted Eintracht Braunschweig, and this was not a contest either. Uh, three goals to nil for the Jan. Uh, they were dominant. It was a pure dominant performance. Uh, Albion Varenci scored a brace, and Max Bushushkov got a goal as well. It was a very, very good performance for Jan Regensburg, and it keeps them in the top. You know that top five, which is you know they've they've been very good. Either is um, have Jan, and it definitely comes from intensive pressing and you know their ability to get heaps of shots on goal. Yeah, uh, I, I watched the game Friday Night Live. Uh, still don't know what to make out of it because I was negatively surprised on how bad Braunschweig was. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, it's, it's a game of two tales. Of course, Regensburg was very good, but Braunschweig, on the other hand, if you that, that 3-0 is, for me... A symbol of how that whole game went. I'm not sure, quite sure anymore which Braunschweig player tries to get into the way of Albion Freniti, but he does it very horrible and very, very bad. And Freniti um, can just keep going, and um, Fizic is just a bit lost in in the goals and don't really knows what to do. Not not his fault though. It was um, Braunschweig didn't look quite good throughout the. Um, when when whenever Ringsburg went on going on 
counterattacks, uh, but Bantrak had, had problems with that early as well. So as you've mentioned, they have huge problems with uh, teams that are very good in their style of pressing that um, attack the the opponents very early and um that yeah, had a foreign spool very good performance by them clean sheet um it does surprise me but yeah yeah and that's i think that's probably from the opening five games they've been the surprise team um and there is yeah and they've and the good thing for them is they've found different avenues for goals i mean it was uh, Varenci this uh, this week we've seen albers come up as you'd expect from a from a striker and uh, Bushushkov, you know, he's the engine room in midfield for, for, for the Yan. And yeah, I mean, they, they, were, they were very good once again. I guess it did help that Braunschweig went down to 10 men just before half time. Does help having a man advantage. Although we did see Braunschweig's last game, they went down to 10 men and then they immediately scored um, to go up 2 1 against Borkham. So yeah, I mean, Braunschweig were pretty lifeless in this game. And, you know, it's going to be a tricky season for them as well. I think, uh, make no mistake about it, I think most of us had them in the bottom six. And yeah, I think that's probably their ceiling. Avoiding relegation will be a good thing for them, but it will be an uphill battle until the end. Let's take our final break. And on the other side, it is draw central. Um, it's 1-1 draw central, basically. Our last three games of match day five. We'll start with Heidenheim and Osnabrück. We've reached our final group games for match day five, and we're going to start in Heidenheim. As mentioned before, they hosted Osnabrück. This game ended a goal apiece. Uh, before we actually get to the action, we were all pleased to see that Frank Schmidt was back in the dugout after some health issues. Uh, ensured that he missed uh, Heidenheim's previous encounter, and yeah, it was a you know there was a lot of attacking play. It's fair to say neither side was defending particularly well. Uh, Florian Pick thought he had a goal scored, uh, but the ball had been out of play prior to Schnatter crossing the ball, crossing it in, uh, and then. Yeah, Christian Kulvetta scored an excellent goal off a counter-attack. And it was 1-0 for Heidenheim. But only seven minutes later, Etienne Amanido made it 1-0. And that's the final score. It's the first goal that Osnabrück have scored uh, from a player not named, Christian Santos, uh, for Heidenheim. It's been a pretty subdued start to the season. And we mentioned, in our, as Eva mentioned in our preview show, that teams who have lost, even though they didn't really lose, in the playoffs, have struggled to get back into the winning spirit the following season. And either, I guess it was a good performance from Heidenheim, but yeah, the concern is they just can't, you know, teams that they, we expect them to beat, they just can't get results. Yeah, although they uh, they had in form of uh, Leipzig, they had a huge uh, chance to take all three points, but um, for unfortunately for them, the post was in the way um, because I think 
Well, Osnabrück had, had struggled with their dis- defensive structure as soon as mainly Heidenheim came from the right side because that's how the, the first goal yeah, was was built up and similar to nearly the second goal Heidenheim scored. So that was kind of their problem. But for both sides, um, if you look at the statistics, <laughs> can't, can't count the uh, number of times I said that today, uh, but um, both sides... On, on both sides, the attacking players leaked the precision. So um, Heidenheim had 16 shots on goal, Osnabrück 18. But that that's a huge amount. But for both sides, every player only managed to get one shot on target, which gives us seven shots on target for Heidenheim, five shots on target. Um, for, for Osnabrück... Um, especially for Heidenheim I would expect a bit more um, especially as we always talk about how effective they are how efficient they use their chances Um, so that wasn't their best game but really really good performance on the other side for for Osnabrück in that point then especially if you look that they didn't play in competitive games in like three weeks now because of course um international break and then they were out during um uh, because of the uh, the current 18 18 players that had to go into quarantine um so for them picking up a point against heidenheim with a new coach i think um Korda does do a good job there it's 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 a good point for them definitely 100 percent. you can tell that they uh, very much a, a workmanlike side, you know. They're not; they might not have the most talent, but what they do do is they work very unified, um, and it is a very much united front. And, and it was a good result for them. And you know, again, they could have won the game, um, despite the fact that Heidenheim probably had the better of it in terms of chances. Uh, that catch-up game that Osnabrück have against Darmstadt is happening very, very soon. If I'm not mistaken, it is on tomorrow. Uh, so this is Tuesday, the time of recording. So Wednesday, when this podcast comes out, um, you'll be prepared to watch Osnabrück and Darmstadt, which, to be fair, is probably better than anything that any other game of football that's probably happening in in Europe. So I'd probably be tuning in to watch that game, to be fair. Um, let's move on from that, and let's talk about Nuremberg and Karlsruhe. This game was also 1-1. Uh, Felix Lorkemper's wicked deflection shot of Kerbold, uh, able to beat Marius Gersbeck, and then Marvin van Itzek headering in on 53 minutes. His first goal of the season, another integral part of the Karlsruhe side like Philip Hoffman, getting Karlsruhe a share of the points. They did go down to 10 men. Dominic Kurzer was sent off. He was the fifth player to be sent off in match day five. So I guess the five really was the magic number. Um, Eva, there wasn't a lot to talk about this game. You know, neither team really offered a whole lot going forward. Um, And I think a share of the points is probably the fair result here. Yeah, we totally agree with you there. Um, Statistics would, um, yeah, say the same. Only three or for Nuremberg, two shots on target for Karlsruhe. Um, not a lot going there. Still don't really know what to make um, from Nuremberg under Klaus this season. You could see that Karlsruhe as in, in person of Christian Eichner could much more live with that draw 
then Nürnberg could, he was quite happy with that. Um, and especially if you look how Karlsruhe's season is going until now, um, quite good performance by them. But yeah, in general, it wasn't a pretty game to watch. Um, just, yeah, as, as you've mentioned, um, very naive by Kota in the end. He is a very um, young player, so that might be just for him to to notice for the rest of the season. But yeah, uh, their expected goals um, are 0.79 to 0.64. So you kind of get a feeling that this uh, game would have been a classical nil-nil or 1-1. Um, and you talked about the the 1-0 for Felix Lokemper. Very lucky goal, very unlucky for, for Karlsruhe's goalkeeper because he just sees the ball very late because a Karlsruhe player has his foot in, in the shot and then it just falls down like a lamp and um, he can't really, he, he looks a bit unfortunate in that situation, but very, very, very unlucky for him just because he can't do anything about it really. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it is almost one of the hardest things as a goalkeeper is once there is a deflection and such a high looping uh, deflection as it was getting into a position where you're able to to really make a play especially as you're going backwards your momentum is really taking you into the goal and as we saw with Gersbeck's attempt he was probably a couple of steps too forward before, before he made his attempt at save and and in the end all he could really do was parry the ball into his own net and as a keeper that's that's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. But yeah, as you said, I Christian Achter was thrilled. You could see um, that uh, Klaus was not particularly pleased that they didn't. They were unable to break down um, Karlsruhe. And even Karse could have stolen the points. Gondorf had an excellent chance late on, but was unable to get the go- get his header on target. Let's hit our last game. It's at Sandhausen and Paderborn. This game also ended 1-1. Uh, Dennis Sabeni scored from the penalty spot after a little bit of a confusing incident, which saw uh, the video assistant referee picking out a handball from Dennis Linsmeyer. Sabeni getting his second goal of the season. Then Robin Shoy, nine minutes later, giving Sandhausen an equaliser and, of course, a share of the points. This game... Um, yeah, it wasn't particularly great in terms of a spectacle. Uh, so I think it's a point that Sennhausen can live with. Uh, even not entirely sure that Paderborn will be thrilled that they were held away from home against a, a Sennhausen side that they probably feel they should beat. Yeah, I think um, for Sandhausen it was a good result, especially after the defeat last week. And um, yeah, once more heads up to Martin Freisel, who last week didn't really look good in goal, but this time had a 100% saving rate. So um, heads up to that because well, a goal um, a penalty doesn't uh, get into this statistic, doesn't count uh, that way. Um yeah, you've mentioned Robin Choi. He had another very dangerous shot on target for, for Sandhausen as well, so he was quite good. Um, but I think it, it was a deserved draw in the end. Um, for me, Paderborn lacked a bit of... Um, I don't know how to put it, but 
aggressiveness uh, in front of the goal and in, in general in the way they play. It's something that you know from from then the past couple of seasons. So I was missing this a bit. Um, but uh, that's not only my words, but as, of course also the words by Uwe Hünemeyer, the Paderborn captain. So they they need to level it up a bit um, if they well not not only if they want to maybe get re-promoted but just to to have more or less uh, a calming season um, in this very weird times. Um, so yeah, it, it's still the beginning of the season. It's still very weird because we from week to week we don't know which game will take place, which will not. Then of course we had in Heidenheim five falsely negative uh, positive tests um so uh, very very strange times uh, the first um i know how it's uh, in the rest of the world but um we're coming back to like march where games are being cancelled at least in the lower leagues and everyone's not quite sure if we really see um after the international breaks some some more games for me still those those not really a clever thing to do because we now have Champions League, Europa League returning like around 32 teams are traveling each week and then I think next week or the next uh, the week after that we have the next international break and then don't think it's a very clever idea at the moment but um yeah, and if I'm just speaking about uh, things outside of the league, um, just want to give a heads up to Marcus Rashford for using his reach um, on Twitter or in general as a football player to help children around the UK. A really, really good job by him. And um, also a good statement by uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach after their player, uh, Bril Mbolo, got Clarice's message on Instagram, um, stood together, ha- had a good message. So very very good um, so, social media work by them um, in comparison to Union Berlin who kind of failed to really turn away from an AFD um, so the alternative for Germany um, statement saying that there were the reason Union had uh, fans in their stadiums on, on on the weekend so all a bit weird times at the moment mm, Indeed, certainly the stuff about Rashford is is good that He's clearly a shining light in what is a pretty dark time in the UK. And that's someone who constantly gives of himself and is not really, you know, I guess someone who only thinks of himself or is someone who, because he's a professional footballer, um, you know, he's clearly shown that he is a fantastic human being, one that is giving of himself consistently and yeah he's doing a fantastic job i guess the last thing on the sandhausen paderborn game is yeah i mean there were a couple of you know there was a debutant for paderborn it was marcel heller's first game uh, since joining as a free agent we saw alexander esfine get his first start and he almost scored an absolutely cracking goal but his effort smacking the uh, the crossbar and yeah it was um probably the fairest result in the end but it wasn't a particularly eye-catching game that's all the time we have for for the Svarta Bundesliga podcast we hope you enjoyed it we thank you for listening and we will be back next week uh, to 
review all the action from match day six from Eva and myself, Matthew. Thank you again, and we will see you next week. Goodbye.